0: change. It's bound to happen with your organization if it hasn't already. But how do good leaders lead through changes? In today's podcast, we talk with Greg Gibbs, who has and is leading a team of MGOs through change and what he's done to help them go through that process successfully to help his team thrive. Change is inevitable. It's how you process it and move through it that makes such a difference for you and your organization.
1: Welcome to the Nothing But Major Gifts podcast from Veritas Group, featuring Richard Perry and Jeff Schreifels. Twice a month, we bring you the latest and best thinking about major gift fundraising, so you can develop authentic relationships with your major donors. Here are your hosts, Richard
2: and Jeff
0: welcome to the podcast today i'm jeff Schreifels and i finally have richard perry back with me after being away for a bit richard so happy that you're back in the saddle again why don't you tell us what was going on
2: well you know what it's it's been quite a journey jeff but it's good to be back Uh, i had open heart surgery wow And it was just like uh and i'm a healthy guy as you know yeah. But, uh, you know, all that eating and drinking and all that other stuff kind of caught up with me or something. I mean, I am an old guy, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm back. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm ready to, to get after it. So, but that's, that's what happened.
0: Well, it's so good to have you back on the podcast again. I mean, I really missed you oh, uh, obviously. Um, also in a little bit, we're going to have a guest on to help us talk about some leadership issues. But before we do that, Richard,
2: let's talk about our subject today, leading through change. Yeah, you know what, Jeff, I think this is going to be an important discussion today, because you know if you've listened to or read any of our work, you know that Jeff and I are really, really passionate about helping build up good leaders and leadership skills in the nonprofit sector. And, you know, that in order for mid and major and plan giving programs to be successful, you really have to have a strong leadership, uh, you know, leading the team and strong management along with it. Exactly. You're exactly right. And today we
0: specifically want to talk about how to lead through change at your organization. I mean, every organization, no matter what, will go go through those periods of change. You know, sometimes they can be small changes like a new email system or a big change like a new CEO or executive director comes in. But there's always going to be changes happening. So how do you lead, how do you successfully lead through that? Mm -hmm. And Richard, you've done a lot of work with nonprofit leaders around change management. So I first want to ask you, Where do you think nonprofit leadership fails or comes up short around this idea around change?
2: Well, you know, I I think mostly it's because either a leader has been brought up in an old style of management and leadership, you know, that uh, really top down, heavy handed, my way or the highway type of approach. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's either that or honestly, they just don't know how to lead because of the lack of experience or lack of knowledge on what it takes to actually lead people. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. We all know nonprofits are not democratic, uh, actually, and nor should they be at the core as it relates to principles and values and vision and direction. I mean, no business really is. I mean, you can't have everybody voting on everything. No, I, I <laughs> yeah. know. Right. a you know, total disaster. I mean, you wouldn't get anything done. So, we do agree that in an organization, not everyone has the same voice or weight when it comes to the opinions on every policy, uh, strategic, or operational issue. But here's the thing, and here's the important difference a good leader sets up a system where even the smallest voice can be heard. Yes. And the opinions of others matter. I mean, we've seen this actually work and we've practiced it ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, if there's some disagreements, there's an adult and reasonable explanation for the differences of opinion. But the problem is is that many leaders are not, they're really not wired to lead that way. So instead, they lead using this top down authoritarian approach. Don't involve anybody, don't engage anybody, don't listen to other staff's opinions or ideas. And I mean, that leads
0: to really disengaged staff, right? It really does. In that kind of approach, team members, they're not going to feel respected or no. valued as part of that team. No. And sometimes, and I guess I could say in many, many times, we have seen staff being a constant state of fear and worry, right? Yep. Which for sure makes it even more difficult to lead change at an organization. If there's a ton of fear amongst the staff, it's really hard to lead effectively through anything.
2: Oh, I know. Yep.
0: Now, before we start talking about how to start shifting and correcting a culture within your team so change can happen, I want us to welcome Greg Gibbs, who is Executive Director of Development for the University of California Agriculture and Natural Resources, or UCANR. Greg leads a team of development professionals as, and has led that team through some big changes. So he comes from a bunch with a bunch of experience on this. Sure welcome, does. Greg. Well, hey, guys, thank you so much. It's glad to be with you again. It's so good that you're with us. You were so great the first time we had you on that. We wanted you back on this podcast because of how you talked about leading your team. You were so inspiring. So Richard and I wanted to be wanted you to be here on this for this
2: subject. So, Greg, let let me ask you this. I mean, I've been a student of what makes a great leader and manager for many years now. And what I find fascinating is, you know, how poorly equipped nonprofit leaders are today. Now, I know you are, in fact, you know, one of those good ones. So in getting back to what Jeff just said before, how do you start to shift and correct a culture within your team so that change can be welcomed when needed? Well,
1: you know, I look at a pretty simple philosophy. Uh, It's not one that I came up with, but it's one I have learned from. Which is, um, I try to focus on egos up and fears down. Um, people are afraid of change. And, you know, as you had mentioned before, that top-down management approach, especially right. higher education, that, that's kind of de facto. Um, but I find that it really, it scares people off. And so I really look at trying to find the best in each person. Trying to find to see what their their hot buttons are, um, how to work through them, and to not use an approach that is you know constantly saying, well, if this doesn't happen, this is going to be the result. But really, just talk about how they've been able to you know adapt and be successful, Um, and really just to you know show the good of what they're doing, what their impact can be, and not just well, it's never good enough and comparing one position with the next position or one person with the next person. Uh, that that just doesn't work. And I, I mm-hmm. found that that just doesn't work.
2: Now, so so you use that phrase egos up, you mean by that, the encouragement, that the, the celebration Absolutely. of the individuality yes. of the person. Correct. Correct. Well, now, how do you help your team move out of fear? Like, how do you involve them so that there's less fear?
1: Well. You know, there's a couple of ways that I like to do it. I, first of all, when, when I want to, but there's going to be change coming. And that's the one thing that everyone is afraid of. That's the number one thing. It's not, not going to the dentist. It's not having open heart surgery. <laughs> and I'm so glad, Richard, um, that you're doing well. Um, <laughs> it's, it's change. That's what people are afraid of. They're afraid of the unknown. So mm-hmm. I look at an approach to, talk with each of my team members. There's 10 of us in my group, counting myself. And I do talk to myself, even. But I talk to each person uh, one-on-one. And I try to address what is bothering them, what those fears are for them. And then to give them a reaction based off of the feedback they're giving me. And so we have those one-on-one discussions. It takes a lot of work. But oftentimes, people try to have your group meetings and I don't look at group meetings as a time to try to come to uh, some uh, uh, this is what we need to do next or these are the steps. But if you spent the time and you talk to each person individually before the meetings, then you can actually have a meeting where you're coming to a consensus because you've now taken in everyone's pros and cons and tried to come up with an answer that as the leader, you're pulling all of those pieces together but you're presenting a final result where everyone's had the chance to weigh in. And then also when talking to folks, you, it's okay to praise people. I don't give out platitudes. I think there's just, it's a waste of time. It's not honest. Um, they know it, you know, it, it's kind of like when you get behind someone's car and you know, everyone's student is, you know, an, an A plus student or everyone's everyone's <laughs> child is great on the soccer team. We know that they're all not that great. But it's just to be perfectly honest. Everyone is an expert at at least one thing. It doesn't always align with their work. But you can find where people do excel in certain areas. And be uh, honest in your praise, because you're not making it up. And it's just also being very clear in your, your communication. And The one-on-one check-ins are just as important as team meetings. It's not that you're going around someone who might be supervising and you're talking to one of their direct reports. Mm -hmm. As a leader, you should be able to talk to anyone on your team at any time. But you just
0: keep the communication open and Mm -hmm. people react well to that. Yeah. Greg, something you said that was really good. Was before you have a big staff meeting, like I can just imagine you've mm-hmm. got this big thing that you're going to present to the staff, and there's it's going to make it's going to be a big change. Before doing that, having those one-on-ones with staff, actually, Richard, you have always been really good at that. Mm-hmm. Our, you know, in the, back in our agency days, whenever there was some big thing that was going to happen that it affected a lot of people you always went to people one-on-one before yep. the big meeting you to make to. sure that they were going to be okay. Yep. <laughs> and yep. then when the big meeting happened, it wasn't as big of a thing. And people were already thinking ahead and realizing how they could make that into a positive thing rather than it being a scary
2: thing. So great. Right. You're, you're always have you're always having the meeting before the meeting. Is it yeah,
0: right? absolutely. <laughs> yeah,
2: absolutely. So I think that that's a huge thing there. Well,
0: Greg, this is really good stuff. And now you, you've actually gone through a lot of different changes while you were at UC Davis and now at UCA and How did you approach leading your team through those changes with your major gift program?
1: Yeah. So you know, while I was at UC Davis, I was there for 11 years. Phenomenal, phenomenal fundraising program. Yeah. Um, and they're machine at what they do. Well, when I moved over to UCA and we're the Cooperative Extension. So we are that public face to the community to take our research from the University of California and make it applied research in the field, working in agriculture, working with farmers, et cetera. So our fundraising team, we don't we can't rely on alumni because at ANR we don't grant a degree like UC Davis or UC Berkeley does. Yeah. Um, so we have to be able to talk to our donors. Um, because they're giving because they're passionate. They're not giving because we have a great football team like Cal uh, or they're not giving because we've got a great medical center like UCSF. And we do. We have a great medical center. Um, but they're giving because they believe in our mission of research and extension. And so when I first heard about, you know, I knew what I had learned at UC Davis, but I knew I had to change that and pivot while working at UCANR. Because, again, our donors are different. And that goes with any organization. It's not just if you work at one nonprofit and then you switch to another, your donors don't necessarily follow you. You're going to have to build relationships with new donors. Right. So when I took the Major Gifts Academy several months ago, I was fascinated. These are things that I was taught when I first started back in 2006, but we forgot about them. We kind of got back into just, you know, how many face-to-faces, how many proposals, etc. And we weren't getting to the reason of why donors are giving. So when I was telling my major gift team that, hey, guys, we got to do this. And, you know, let me tell you what I learned about, you know, donor value attrition. And let's talk about caseloads. And they looked at me like I had three heads um, <laughs> because I was speaking a different language. We use the term portfolio. We don't use, we don't say caseload. Um, and, and so just learning that vernacular. And so what I did, I spent the money. And I got my three NGOs enrolled, and they all recently graduated from the program. And so that was the first step into teaching them how what I learned so that we're all speaking the same language. And then I actually took the reading materials, because I was able to save them, and shared them with not only the development side, but the advancement team, the gift processing team, folks mm-hmm. working on, on um, stewardship and annual giving so that they could read and understand what we were doing. And as a result of that, we're now starting to see where folks are understanding. We just closed our fiscal year on July 30th. We were up 8%. We're really happy, especially in wow, this nice. past year. we yeah. i really happy with that. And we're actually starting to see our donors who've been in our database for many years. Their numbers are starting to increase in the giving because my NGOs are actually reaching out and asking them why, why they're doing it. And this has been in a very short time frame um, that we're starting to see this. So now we've got to try to see what works for us. It's not going to be exactly how uh, we were taught at Veritas, because again, our mission is different than any other nonprofit that's out there and every nonprofit is unique. So you need to adapt the program to what's going to work best for you. What? How many donors can my MTOs have? Because they may not have all of the administrative support that they would like. I'm trying to get them that. But again, I'm competing with other administrative units and academic programs within a and We're all competing for the same money. So I may not be able to have an admin person for each MTO. But if I could at least get one for every two or three MTOs, mm-hmm.
2: I'll call that success. And so we adapt and adjust accordingly. Let me ask you this, Greg. Um, you've been talking about how you help your people grow and and and, and do all of that. But how, did, how do you go about your own journey on understanding what it means to be a great leader? Like, how do you keep learning and growing and improving?
1: You know, I went to a military academy um, mm. for college, um, Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. Very proud of that a long time ago. Um, and it was there to create leaders in the Air Force. Now, I only stayed in active duty seven years after I had graduated from the academy. Um, but I had been put in a position where I was going to be leading different groups. And I'm an engineer, so I, I led people sitting at a desk. I wasn't in a jet or it was anything exciting. Um, but it was still very important work. Mm-hmm. And you also learn how to be a good leader by making mistakes. And God knows I've made more mistakes (laughs) than I care to count. Um, I can count how many mistakes I've made this morning. But it is being open and honest with yourself. A A good leader wants to be inquisitive. They want to be analytical. They want to accept that they may not have all the answers, but you're at least willing to try. And that if you're wrong, it's okay to admit that you made a mistake. But, you know, I look at how I rate my success as a leader is how what my employees are saying about me, whether it's here at UCANR, whether it was at UC Davis, or the plethora of other jobs I've had in the past. Like I said, I have made so many mistakes, but you learn from them. And you learn that you can eat a little humble pie. And don't take yourself so seriously, but you're put in that chair or that position or whatever it is, because people see what you're capable of doing. And I just, you know, my philosophy is, is you take a, take a string, you know, take a a piece of string, maybe six inches long, lay it on your desk and tell me how successful you're going to be pushing that string. And you're going to find it's going to twist and turn and probably not really go in the direction that you want. But if you pull that string along, you're going to be a lot more successful. And that's mm-hmm. the way I've always looked at leadership.
2: So it so it's a combination of curiosity and initiative, but also of, of being vulnerable and authentic with people, uh, that that uh, and and getting their participation. That seems like that's how you, mm. you yes. kind of move things along. Now, do you have a story or example of someone you worked with who was really I mean, really resistant to change and how you handle that situation. Yeah, there.
1: First of all, if there's anyone in, in my opinion, again, these are my opinions, um, anyone in a leadership role who was elated or delighted to terminate an employee, even though we knew it was the wrong fit, I would really question whether you did it for the right reasons. No, no one right. enjoys ever having to terminate someone. It's, it is really just gut wrenching. Even though it's, sometimes it's, you got to remove a cancer if it's if it's there, but it's still mm-hmm. painful because everyone has their vulnerabilities. Um, I remember working with um, I was doing corporate relations at the time, and we brought in a new major gift officer who was focused was on individuals. And you know, my program was working with students, working with a lot of alumni uh, who were leaders within different companies, et cetera. And I had an associate director who worked with me. And we would take students out on trips to the Bay Area, go out and see some of these big companies, and you just see their eyes open when you pull up on the Google campus or the Salesforce campus. and it's just oh, it's just awesome. And it wasn't necessarily just to show them this is where you're going to work, but it's also to show the students of, oh, Places you might not want to work because it might not fit your personality. Anyway, back to the new MGO that we had hired. His position was to work with individuals and not with corporations. Mm -hmm. But he's peeking over the fence and we're loading up in the van and we're going out with students. We're having lunches and we're inviting companies in. And he wanted to start doing that. So he started to try to align his visits with my team's visits and Mm -hmm. wanting to piggyback and so at first, I'm like, well, that's really not what your function is. You should be working with individuals. And so we both reported to the same boss. He was a colleague of mine. And so, you know, I finally just had to put a hard line in the sand and just remind them, you know, you're not going to get credit for any of these visits. And you're certainly not going to get any credit for any dollars raised or proposals submitted. And you're, your overall, you know, at the end of the year, people are going to look at how you performed. Mm -hmm. Um, were you able to stay in your lane and to do your job? And he was very resistant and for probably a month or two, there was some tension between us, you know, there was not a lot of chatter or dialogue any longer. Um, and it's tough. It's very tough as a new MGO to get those first visits. You're calling and calling and calling. Right. And nobody's returning a call. Right? right, right. And then after a while, he got his his got into his group and started getting visits with with individuals and started going out on his own. And so what I did is I cheered him on. Way to go. Awesome. Look at that. Congratulations. We had a bell in the office. This kind of Dates made back in my old sales day. He'd ring the bell when there was a sale. Mm -hmm. I'd ring the bell when he got a visit. He didn't work in corporate relations, but he was part of my team in the college. And that built him up to fast forward to where he is today. I actually just got a text from him about 30 minutes ago asking if I wanted to go to lunch. Um, He's working for as a regional um, development officer for an East Coast school. Uh, He's still here in the Sacramento area. And he is their top fundraiser for major gifts. Wow. Wow. Working with individuals. And it was sometimes when you just got someone who doesn't want to do what they should, that's when you have to put a hard line in the sand. But once they start having success on their side of the net, you cheer them on.
0: Yeah. You don't
1: say, well, I told
2: you so. But you encourage them. And that's how you can turn someone around. So Greg now th- this is this uh, is not specific to leading you know towards change necessarily but I, l- I really do love how you talk about people in your care could you offer us some tips from your experience on what you do to bring the best out of people
1: like i said everyone is an expert at, at least one thing
2: mm-hmm.
1: hopefully it aligns with the work that they do sometimes it doesn't Um, But everyone is good at something. And even at their work, there's one thing that they might be better at than another person. And so you identify that. And, you know, maybe they're really good at, you know, working on communications pieces or maybe they're really good at securing those first visits. And as you find out what that is that they're good at, then you are constantly looking at ways to encourage that behavior to continue. And like I said, when I talked about my previous coworker, just landing his first few visits with individuals, we're ringing the bell. We were jumping up and down for joy because mm-hmm. that encouraged yeah. him to keep going. And so it's not just the stick model. I don't really believe in that. I was trained in that when I went to college. It was definitely the stick and not the carrot. Um, but You want to encourage people to do better. Um, It's okay to be vulnerable with your team and to be transparent with them, to tell them what's going on. You don't have to get into, you know, the you hear the term sausage making. Everyone knows their sausage making. And sometimes we know that sausage tastes pretty lousy. Um, You don't have to get into all of those details, but you want to be as honest with them as possible. And not trying to hide, not trying to sugarcoat, Um, but we want to look at how we can celebrate each person and their uniqueness and what they bring. And if you can really look for that in people, then you're not lying. I am the worst poker player in the world. So anyone who's listening and you see me at the poker table, (laughs) I'm probably going to lose because I do not hide my emotions. Um, I, you can't fake sincerity, um, avoid platitudes at all costs. And when you're not lying, when you're being honest, people know that you're telling them the truth. Yeah, you're not just, honest. just spitballing it and making up crap.
2: Right. Um,
1: right. and that I believe is what truly earns respect from the people that are, that are under
0: your leadership. That's awesome. Greg, thanks for sharing your leadership wisdom with us today. It was awesome. And I, I mean, Richard, I think we inspired a lot of folks here today. I agree. Yep. Hey, before we go, I have a free resource for you. We have a white paper called Building a Culture of Philanthropy. You can go to veritasgroup.com and under the resources tab, you'll see it right there it will help you start addressing how you can create a culture across your entire organization that understands and values the role of donors and and your staff go to veritasgroup.com and thank you for joining us thank you again greg for being with us and you're very welcome we'll see thank you, you next time thank yep, you thank you
1: thank you for joining us for the nothing but major gifts podcast from veritas group Richard and Jeff also write an ongoing blog that you can subscribe to for free at VeritasGroup.com. Please join us again next time.